Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, you could open up there. We are in this uh, series, what I refer to as Lessons for Life, uh, learning to live for the glory of God. Every single day you wake up and we have a purpose. It's really not about you. It's about um, exalting the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and glorifying God. I want to welcome every one of you who are here today, especially those who are here for the first time. Um, uh, you can be assured that there are no perfect people at Big Woods. We have messed up and we will continue to, but we are loved unconditionally. And we are recipients of God's grace and his love and his mercy. And so are you. And we welcome you. And it is a joy to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that just older youth. I had not heard that before. You're, you're two-thirds of the way right, just older. But I don't think Joe would work real well for, for the name of your ministry. No, really. Uh, I just delight in the more mature um, ones that God has brought into this body um, that we can learn from, glean wisdom from. And so I am so grateful for that that um, group of just older youth that are represented here. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we uh, look into God's word this morning and um, pray that he ultimately is glorified, that his words are spoken and heard, and that we learn and grow more and more uh, to be like him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we are once again reminded... Uh, who you are, the unshakable, unmovable cornerstone. Uh, So much in this entire life just vacillates and moves and changes. And Lord, you are forever rock solid and stable. Your grace and your mercy, uh, you're a God of truth um, and holiness. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice that you have given to us one more day to be together. Uh, Father, I would ask, Lord, that you um, would guard my mind and my mouth, um, that, that what takes place would be glorifying to the name of Jesus, that we would be drawn closer to one another and, and ultimately, Lord, drawn closer to you. Uh, Father, I just pray for this church as a whole. I pray for individuals that are here that, uh, Lord, have walked through these doors and they're searching, they're aching, they're hurting. God, may this be a place that they know of, that they learn of you, that they, they know of the message of the hope that exists in the good news of Jesus. Guide us now as we learn. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Life lessons for the Lord on relationships, relationships and communication. Nothing earth-shattering or new necessarily, but it's a really, really important subject Um, for where we are at individually, um, where we're at as families, and where we are at as a local church, uh, that we oftentimes miss. We just miss one another when it comes to our communication. I heard just reading this week of a a pastor. He had written a book, and he was talking about a particular time that he was speaking. And pastors have opportunities to speak in different places. And he was speaking at a mental health clinic. And, And true story, he was talking about the purpose of our existence. Why are we here? And he asked the question, so why are we here? And the guy in the back raised his hand and he said, well, I know why we're here. 
we're here because we're not all there. But he said, I don't have a clue why you're here. You know, I, I thought about that. That's really, we put great effort into, okay, this is why we're, and we still, we still miss it all the time. We're actually more disconnected than we are connected. We're oftentimes giving ourselves more credit to think that we're on the same page. I hear this phrase all the time. My husband is just not listening to me. Believe it or not, I've heard that. I, I've heard this phrase from men, from many uh, uh, a man. You know what? I just, I just don't understand my wife. No joke, really? I've heard this phrase that, that, that my, my parents just, they, they don't want to listen to me anymore. I've heard this phrase that says my son doesn't want to spend time with me. I've heard this phrase that my daughter doesn't even want to be in the same room with me any longer. And there's relationships that were supposed to be in close contact and, and, and connection and they're fragmented all over the place. I don't understand my boss. I can't stand my boss. I'm not understanding what he's trying to tell me, what he wants from me. In the, in the middle of all of that disconnect, enter what? Enter the local church of Jesus Christ. Now, we have a local body here we refer to as Big Woods Bible Church. We have a very clear vision, and you hear about this all the time. We exist to build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we understand that relationships, this whole idea of relationships takes a lot of work. This is really, really hard. My concern is because relationships take a lot of work, people are not investing the time into them. And so there's strained or stressed relationships at, at home, in, in families, in marriages, in the, in, in the workplace, strained relationships at school, and yes, even at church. People either do not want to or they have not taken the time to invest. So there's a great distance that exists. Husbands are at odds with their wives. Parents are at odds with their children. The young have a hard time connecting and communicating with the older ones. Men and women, brothers and sisters, teachers and students, even pastors and parishioners, believe it or not. There can be times of a distance that exists. What are we to do? Uh, we are to learn to live in community. That's what a relationship is with one another. How are we to do this? We have got to learn how to communicate. It's interesting that the word community and the word communicate both come from the same Latin history. Communis, it means common. One's a noun, one's a verb. One is having things in common. The other one is bringing things together. And so there's this idea of we've got to learn to communicate in order to be in community. Does that make sense? We've got to learn to communicate in order to be in community. Now, this is especially difficult today because there is so much of this. You know what I'm talking about. You're not praying. It's this, there are faces that are buried, what, constantly in some kind, and all of a sudden everyone's looking up right now. <laughs> P- people are, are constantly, the, the, the primary means, it is becoming increasingly and noticeably 
that, that what? People aren't talking face to face. I was reminded of this recently when I received a text from my wife asking me to bring her a cup of coffee because she was upstairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not the only one that that has happened to. Some of you are texting one another at this very moment. That's the world that we live in. We talk about relationships. Relationships require communication. And communication, the more that we communicate, and this is tough, are going to reveal the differences that exist. I can't just, I, I, don't, I can't figure out my wife. I'm trying. Yeah, well, he's not listening to me. Well, he's trying to say something. That's what's the challenge. Proverbs, Proverbs 18, verse 21 offers great wisdom. Listen to this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Do you realize when we talk about, as we kind of wade deeper into this subject of, okay, we need to to be in relationships. If we're going to be in relationships and have community, we have to communicate. And then we go into the fact that every single word has the power, listen to this, the, the, the words that we speak have the power to bring death. That is the power to, to bring destruction, to destroy. And, is, and, and what the words that we speak also have the power, the ability to bring life, to build up in love. Our words are held within the context of the message we're trying to communicate. And do you realize this? It is going to forever be a battle as long as we are in this state, apart from glorification that awaits for us in heaven, in this present state, in this present place, it is going to be a forever battle to choose the gentle over the harsh. It is going to be a forever battle to choose the kind words over rude words. The rude words flow easily and quickly from us. You realize that as long as we are here in this flesh, it is going to be a forever battle to choose between what? The patient instead of the offensive. James, James, the apostle James wrote this. He says in James chapter 1 verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious, but he does not bridle his tongue, it says he deceives his heart. Then he makes this statement. He says, this person's religion is worthless. There's there's a lot of people that are saying, well, I'm going to church. I'm doing what I should do. And I'm giving money and all that. But but you're not guarding and watching your mouths. And we're to be in relationship. In order to be in relationship, you've got to be communicating. And to communicate, you've got to offer words that are... Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 4. I actually received an email this week. I think we all received an email about this very verse. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that they may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. Do you realize how hard that is? You ever hear of a guy, I don't know if you've heard him, He's got a cool first name. His name is Tim Tebow. You ever hear of a guy by the name of that? Sounds somewhat familiar. This is a guy that that is really intimate. He is a brother in the Lord's. 
Um, I follow him on Twitter. I, I sound so cool saying that. He doesn't follow me, but I follow Tim Tebow. What's interesting is that this is a guy who broke every single college football record. Okay, And for some reason, it's just like as people have mocked him and maligned him for his faith, it seems, and I am not an NFL scout, I don't want to spend time, it just seems like the whole, the whole place has just, just stepped on him. And understand that his release is not, or his arm angle is not perfect, but you'd think that this guy would be just angry with the world. He's been cut and released by team after team after team, and, and he's back home. Listen to what he says. These are his words. Okay, everything that comes out. He, he does his little Twitter thing, and so I follow, and I get a little update. Listen to this. Love spending time with my nephew. Hashtag family time. Next tweet. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 136.1. Another tweet, love sharing Jesus and talking football with Vandy football team. Hashtag more than a game. Listen to this. Let's take a moment and pray for those who lost family members and friends on 9-11. John 16, Hashtag hope. Thanks, Eagles and Coach Kelly, for giving me the opportunity to play the game I love. Romans 8, 28. Hashtag blessed. What? They just cut this guy from the fifth team and he's still saying, I am just so thankful. Everything that pours out of his mouth. Great meeting my brother in Christ, praying, uh, playing for an audience of one. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. He's tweeting this, Proverbs 16, 23, hashtag speak life. What, why is it that when bad things happen to us, our immediate response is what? Well, I will make sure that everyone knows. That was unfair. That was not right. And, and yet our, our speech is to always be seasoned. Remember the Pharisees. Pharisees who were just, they were, they were exasperated by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that they were bothered by every, everything that Jesus was saying, everything that Jesus was doing. And in Matthew chapter 15, they come to Jesus and they're all upset. They're always upset about something. Listen to this. This is what it actually says in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 10. Your disciples, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they're accusing him. Your disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. They are breaking the tradition of the elders. Who's the tattletales here? Think about this. Okay, in the midst of all of Jesus' ministry, these guys come up, they're just ticked at Jesus because he's not a conformist. And he says, do you know that you guys aren't washing their hands before they eat? What kind? Listen, I love, I love the response that the, 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 the Savior of the world. I love how Jesus responds. Listen to this. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a person. What does Jesus do? He just gives them a royal verbal slap. And he shuts them down and says, Do you realize what you're even saying? This is what's important are words that reveal our heart. The exact same thing applies to you and I today. You can be assured this is not going to come easy. 
We are created first and foremost to be in relationship with a holy God, which cannot happen apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has also called us to be in relationship with one another. Seven chapters later, Matthew chapter 22, and I know you've turned there, Jesus is, is, is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. And, and right before he teaches about the foretelling of the destruction of the temple, guess what, guys? It's all going to be dust. Before he talks and teaches about final judgment, before the betrayal, the arrest, the crucifixion, the resurrection, before all of that, these same people come to Jesus, the Pharisees, and they want to, to, to ask him a question about, okay, so if you were to narrow it all down, what is really the important commandment that we have to hold on to? They're, they're asking about what, what are the weighty matters versus what are the light matters? Really, where should we focus? Which reveal what I call the rot, the rot of legalism. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And, and the Lord, Lord doesn't, doesn't allow that. He doesn't go there. Matthew chapter 22, he quotes a portion from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Pick it up with me in verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Here's the question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? If you were to reduce everything, what is the one thing we are supposed to do? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your, your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, but then he raises the bar. Listen to this. This is the first and great commandment. And a second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and all of the prophets. Again, Jesus silences them. They're expecting what is the one thing, what is the important thing, we'll just do that in order to make it to heaven. And he says, no. It's bigger than just one thing. There's actually two things. Now, we understand the first part, very familiar Old Testament law, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the creator. This is Jehovah. This is Yahweh. This is the ruler of the entire world, sovereign, king, savior, redeemer. He is the one who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful. He is perfect. He is holy. He is complete love. He is complete truth. Okay, that's who we are to love. We focus our attention on God. We have that part. God, giant, us, tiny. God, powerful, us, weak. We have that. And then he adds this, love your neighbor. Well, who's that? Is it dear Mrs. Reeser who lives next to nor next door? Well, yes, but I think it expands more than that. You know what the first thing that comes to mind? Maybe this is not the most spiritual, forgive me. You know what the first thing that comes to mind? Who's my neighbor? When you go to the movies and you have like the best seat and then the guy with the world's largest head sits right in front of you. And he slurps his soda really loud. That's the one. At that, that's that guy. Yeah, he's my neighbor. Yeah, but I don't really love him. Just, just why, does he, why is he right there? Why can't? You, you know who your neighbor is? It's your little sister who has to borrow your iPad and she drops it on the driveway and cracks it. That's your neighbor. That's the one that you are to love. 
Your neighbor is your teacher with the world's most annoying, whiny, irritating voice. Even when she opens her mouth, it hurts. It just hurts. That's your neighbor. That's the one that you're supposed to love. That's what it says in the Word of God. The guy that cuts you off in the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru line? Yeah, that's your neighbor. Happens all the time. I'm usually the guy cutting someone up. No, no. <laughs> the, the idea is, is that we're, we're not really called to just love those that are easy to love. We're, we're called to love those that we don't even like to be around. And, and we're, we're called to, to build relationship. We're told, called to live in community. And, and yet we cannot live in community unless we learn to communicate. And let, 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 me, let me make this very clear. You will never communicate with someone unless you care about that someone. You, you will never communicate with someone unless you learn to care for them. Problem is, problem is that clock right there. Problem is the fact that we have such precious time. One of the most precious commodities that we have today handed to us are the minutes and the hours and the days. And that we jam them. We fill them up from the time the alarm goes off. You can only hit snooze a couple times and then it's all going to just, it's just going to explode if you keep hitting it. You can't keep doing that. You spin your feet out, it hit the floor and you don't stop. And the pace of life is unbelievable today. It's crazy today. And listen to parents who literally, they're just like, their hair's falling out. <laughs> I used to have long, flowing, curly. And they're running practices and games and concerts and lessons and recitals and rehearsals. And we have parties and we have youth. We have a thousand different things. And it's like, what is going on? No one pauses to communicate anymore. People aren't sitting down and eating around a table at night the way that they ought to be as a family. They're not doing that anymore. There's a major breakdown with the communication that exists. And I believe if it breaks down in the home, that's the place that we're to learn it. And that's where Satan is attacking. That's where he's getting his shots in so that we stay in this frenzied mess. I love the way that Paul David Tripp in his book, Age of Opportunity, says it. Listen to this. He says, do you realize every moment of family life is a teaching moment? Unlike the classroom, teaching in the family happens spontaneously. There are no lesson plans, workbooks, or rows of desks. You have to live prepared. He says you have to live with your eyes open. I love that. I love that instruction. My concern as a pastor, as I have a responsibility to speak truth and shepherd the sheep, that's what we're not doing in our homes. We're, 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 not, we're not living with our eyes open. We're missing lessons that we can teach because we are so, so busy. Write this down. Read this little book. It's a, it's a little tiny read. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book called Crazy Busy. Phenomenal little read. There's a chapter in there. I was like... I could just read the whole chapter. It was called Kindergarki, Kinder Young Garki Rule, where the young are ruling the home. 
Is that not, and we are crazy running all over because if little Johnny doesn't get those lessons, then he's going to be a failure in life. If he's a failure in life, then I'm, wait a minute, no. Listen to what DeYoung says. He says, the hectic pace of life can make us physically and spiritually sick. It's not likely a surprise to you, but we may not recognize, what we may not recognize is that our crazy schedules are often signals that the sickness has already set in. We're, we're, we're not in relationships because we're not communicating. We're not communicating because we're not taking the time or we don't have the time. We don't make the time. We sit in dialogue face to face. Where you, 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 you watch the eyes. You listen to the tones. And you're not just checking off. There's a great little, um, there's a great little thing. I'll read just a portion of it. It's called Satan's Plan. I, I really believe that, that this, this is backed, in a sense, by some of the destruction of the evil one, a saint who, who disguises himself as an angel. Like, listen to this. It, it's somewhat of a, of a, of a, a metaphorical, allegorical picture, but listen, listen to this. Satan called a worldwide convention of demons in, in his opening address. He said, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate relationship with their Savior. Once they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to their churches, let them have their little potluck dinners, but steal their time so they don't have time to develop a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to do, uh, said the devil. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this? One of the demons shouted. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend and spend and spend and borrow and borrow and borrow. Persuade wives to go to work for long hours and husbands work six and seven days each week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so they can afford their empty lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children as their families fragment. Soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still, small voice. Entice them to listen to the radio more, watch the television more, play with the computers more. The whole list is there. And it goes on. That there's a scheme that in a sense we're falling into and we're missing out the importance of building Relationships of connecting, living in community, and communicating clearly. What do we do with this? How do we hold on to this? How do we change this? Very quickly, let me give you five five things in closing. They're kind of practical points of application. Um, they, they pour out of where Jesus read in Matthew chapter 22, where he spoke in Matthew chapter 22, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you look real quickly in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you see same instruction. Hear, O Israel, in verse 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your might. Sounds familiar. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as, as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Literally, you just saturate your entire home 
with Scripture, with the truth. So that we keep this before us. If it's not before us, we're going to miss it. We're going to forget it. We're not going to make time for it. With that as a, as, as a, as a premise, let me give you five things very quickly in closing that you have to hold on to in order to increase our relationships and increase our communication with one another. Number one, be willing to sacrifice your time. Be willing to sacrifice your time. Again, it's, that, it's the curse of the clock that we think that it's, 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 it's a priority thing, that dad's job takes precedent over everything else. No, it doesn't. The relationship that you have with your spouse, first and foremost, then your children. Okay, Th- then the other peripherals. What we have to understand is we have to count the cost because true biblical discipleship, true biblical communication is expensive. Realize that people will not communicate and work always according to your schedule. I think particularly of young people, of kids. You know, when we want to sit down with them and, and enjoy meaningful dialogue or meaningful conversation, and they're just like gone. They're like disconnected. Okay, what, what's interesting is that we have to be ready to communicate when they are ready to communicate. What's interesting is that oftentimes it may be late at night. You're talked in, but that's the time that your daughter needs to talk. Your son needs his dad to listen to him. We have to be willing and ready to sacrifice, to hold on, to notice and captivate, to seize that moment and see it as a time that the Holy Spirit is at work in that individual's heart and he has allowed us to offer truth and love and wisdom. Number two, be patient and a careful listener. A lot of times we think about communication is about you just talking, and that is not communication. That's you talking. Okay, what we need to do is, is, is learn to, to listen, and good listening is exhausting. You know that. Um, listening is not just that period of time of silence in between you talking. It's just absorbing where they're at. Husbands, I I would encourage you to be mindful of that. You know the statistic. You've heard it a thousand times before. The average man on average, this is average, okay, speaks or uses between six to 8,000 words per day on average. You realize, husbands, that your wife, that your wife, on average, a woman will speak between 16 to 18,000 words per day. That's 10 thousand more words on average i understand it's like well no last night remember you wouldn't talk to me well i'm not the, okay generalization which means that there's going to be a time that we just have to listen same idea applies to when it comes to our kids proverbs offers great wisdom it says that a fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart or his own opinions. It, literally, the, 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 the author of Proverbs, Solomon, says that a fool is someone who's got to constantly just be running his mouth. I refer to them as an answer man. Who in the world wants to be around an answer man? He has the solution of every single, okay, he always knows, you know what, just close your mouth is what I'd like to have. Number three, be clear in your communication. I remember I was taking class years ago and college and one of the professors drew an arc on the chalkboard. We used chalkboards back then. It was an arc, okay? A-R-C, accuracy, relevancy, and clarity. 
All communication is based on that arc. Accurate? Is it accurate? Is it relevant? And is it clear? And that's the way that we have to make great, we have to make great effort. Understand that, guess what? 70-year-old people actually communicate somewhat different than 15-year-old people do. And so you recognize that. Work on that. Wives will communicate differently than husbands. Men will communicate differently than, than, than a woman. Understand that. Work hard on that. I love Proverbs chapter 25. I've used this oftentimes. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. I have no idea what an apple of gold is or a pitcher of silver, but it, it, it fits. It's beautiful. Proverbs says a word fitly spoken. Give thought and effort to that. Number four, be lovingly honest. It's, it's, yes, we're to speak truth, okay? We are always on the side of truth, but we cannot miss the emphasis of speaking truth in love, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Be lovingly honest. Honey, you know that there's something that I need to share with you. I really want to be careful with how it's presented, but we need to talk. And, and, and you know, if it's bringing one of those young ones that God has blessed you with, you've got to speak truth to them. But you, you can't be cruel or callous. You can't just drive over them. Well, I did it. I told them what they did wrong. No. Be lovingly honest. Number five, finally, be willing to admit your own sinful weaknesses. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago when we talked about the importance of confession and repentance. Okay? Um, if, if you come at anyone, your child, your spouse, your neighbor, someone in, in church, and, and you never admit the fact that you've been wrong and every single one of us, every one of us, okay, and I'm at the front of that long line of people, every one of us have blown it. Every one of us have made poor decisions. Every one of us had said the wrong thing in the wrong way. Every one of us, if we're honest, are going to have to say, "What? Well, I need to, to go to that person and I need to say, forgive me. I, I, I honestly believe as a father, my wife would, would concur with this, that we have achieved more as far as accomplishing what holiness looks like, what righteousness looks like, living out the gospel, when we've pulled our children close to us and say, will you please forgive daddy because he was wrong. More, more is accomplished when we're transparent, when we're real. Reveal the fact that every single one of us are sinful. Every single one of us struggle and we stumble and we fall and we're vulnerable in our weaknesses. But God in His grace sees us. And He, and he offers to us everything that is necessary. He, he forgives us. We celebrate communion where Jesus bore the weight of his Father's wrath so that we can be in close relationship. So that communication from the Word of God to us takes place. That we can pour out our hearts in prayer. Why? Because we're, we're together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a Heavenly Father who knows us, who loves us who offer the greatest gift that could ever be given for us. So we think about the subject of relationships. It is, it is based in the foundation 
relationships that we're able to have with others is only because we can have a close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know how Jesus Christ gave a very clear and a powerful, visible reminder, an object lesson, so that we don't forget this. There are only two ordinances that we as a church are instructed to remember. To instruct it. Next week, uh, we celebrate one of those in baptism uh, at the river, the last one of the year before the ice comes. And, and there's eight people that are going to be baptized where we what? We, we get to witness them publicly declare their death, burial, and resurrection, identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in the newness of life. There's an ordinance that we're commanded to remember. And then there's another one. And that again directs us to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His redemptive work on the cross. Jesus was sitting with His disciples in the upper room the night that He was betrayed. And, and, and after they had finished their meal, there was some, some bread there. It's like that Jewish matzah bread. It would be flat. Okay, there's no leaven in it. Leaven is yeast. We use yeast and it's beautiful, puffy. Jesus, had, it was flattened and he took the bread and, and he was literally showing it. He said, look at this. He said, this, this is my body. And he broke the bread in front of him. And as he broke the bread, he said, my body is going to be broken for you. He's foretelling what's going to happen to his own body, nails to the cross. We, we, we too easily glamorize the, the cross and crucifixion, do you realize how, how broken and, and how bloody Jesus was bearing but all of the wrath, subjecting himself to the ridicule and the mocking? At any moment, he could have said, no, I'm out. I don't want this. But he willingly suffered for us. We know that Jesus with those disciples took fruit of the vine and poured it out. And as he poured it, he said, this is a picture of my blood. My blood that's going to be poured out for you on the cross. The crucifixion was a bloody, horrible, vile execution. And Jesus, by shedding his own blood, Shed that so that all of the grossness that exists in our hearts, all the sin, whatever you have done, God says that He offers His own Son who lived in perfection without any sin and His blood was poured out to wash us from all of the darkness, all the grossness, all the blackness of our own sin. And we are given an ordinance to regularly remember this do this, do this, remember with me. Until I come, do this. And that's what we do. We don't do this every single week like some churches choose to do. We do this once a month. And let me remind you that if you are a believer here that has acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've, you've by faith trusted Him as your Savior, you've offered your life to Him so that He is your Lord, then this is for you. And I invite you to partake and participate with us. Celebrate what Christ has done. Commemorate. It doesn't matter if you're not a member of Big Woods. What matters if you're a member of the family of God. Let me also remind you that if you are here this morning and you've not made that decision, 
I don't want to be rude in any way, but please refrain from this. It would be meaningless. But you can, even in this very moment. Salvation is by faith, and you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I put my faith in you. And you offer your life to Him and desire to live with Him being the one in charge, Him being the Lord, then then you can do that and you can celebrate with us. I invite you to do that. I'm going to invite the elders to come at this point. They're going to serve this to you. Uh, We're going to serve you first the, the bread and then we'll ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup and then they'll serve you the cup and we will enjoy remembering and commemorating the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and then we will sing a song after that before we go.
Father, as we come into Your presence with heads bowed, we do that, Lord, as an acknowledgement of Your authority, of Your holiness. A reminder, Lord, that we are unworthy even to be in Your presence. Father, as we pause now and we strive to be obedient to Your Word, remembering the communion table until You come, we ask, Lord, that we would do this with great seriousness and thoughts, remembrance, gratitude. Father, we thank You for this bread that is a picture of Your body that was broken for us. I thank You for this cup that is a picture, a symbol of Your blood that was poured out for us. And I thank You, Lord, for Your amazing love that You are willing to offer Your own Son to, to feel the full weight of Your wrath and to suffer on our behalf and offer life ultimately. We thank You, Lord, for the work of Christ and the cross, but we also rejoice in the celebration of the tomb and the resurrection that that proves there were so many people that saw a risen Savior. And we thank you, Lord, that when we acknowledge your work on the cross, we have the hope of living a new life, a forgiven life. And that we have the privilege of looking forward to life forever with you in heaven. Thank you for this time together as a body, as a family. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless our minds to remember what you have done. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night, the very night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, gentlemen. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.